0: So, this morning we're continuing our our series on everyday discipleship. And um, it's going to be something a little different uh, than what we've talked about in the last few weeks, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to start by setting us up and giving us an image to help us understand what I think God wants us to hear in our text this morning. Um, When I was a freshman in college, Uh, I remember my first spring break. You know, you always hear about college spring break and what a blast it is. I remember my my first year of college going on spring break, just being super excited to get a week off. And uh, some friends of mine and I, we decided to go take a backpacking trip. And the first part of the week, one buddy of mine came home with me for the first two days until we were gonna start our trip. And so I was really excited to bring him home. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina at the time, and I was excited to show off my city to him. And I remember driving through Charleston, showing him different things about Charleston, not really paying attention to the road. And the next thing I know, we just nailed this pothole. I mean, huge, kind of like the ones that you're seeing around the highway right now, just this gigantic pothole jarred both of us and just totally destroyed my tire. I mean, it was like totally just flat tire. And so we get out, we had to deal with that and change out the tire and put on a new one. And I replaced the tire and I thought that I had fixed the problem that the pothole, pothole had caused. But what I began to experience after we fixed the tire and I was driving over the next few weeks, I noticed that my car would do this really annoying thing where I would want to go straight and my car would just keep doing this, keep veering to the right, keep trying to pull me off the road. And what had happened, if you know anything about cars, you know what had happened was that my wheels were out of alignment. And and when your wheels get out of alignment, it does a couple things. So here, here's how this works. If you've if you've ever heard that guy that changes your oil try to show, sell you a wheel alignment, you know that's he's actually he actually potentially actually cares about your car. Now he could be trying to sell you something, but here's what happens with your car. So your wheels, your wheels were made to be straight with one another, to be lined up like this, right? So they can both go in the same direction. When they get out of alignment, it's because one of the wheels can tilt this way or they can both tilt in or they can tilt out or one can be turned a little bit and the other one straight or they both can be turned. And what happens is when your wheels get out of alignment, one, it destroys your tires because they don't wear evenly and two, it will do that weird thing where it tries to pull you off the road. And so I think this morning in discipleship, following Jesus, it's important that our hearts are aligned With Jesus. Just like the wheels on our car need to be aligned in order for us to be able to drive straight and to treat our car properly, the wheels of our heart need to be aligned with the ways of Jesus if we want to steer straight. And I think there are several marks in our life of a heart that is aligned with Jesus. And one of these marks, the one we're going to talk about today, is generosity. Now, at the mention of generosity in church, weird things happen. So I say the word generosity, and some of us will automatically cringe. Some of you, may be your first Sunday at Ethos, and you're going, oh, great, I'm here for the money talk, my first day that I'm here. Some of you will grip your wallets a little bit tighter. Um, is there anything more uncomfortable to talk about in church than generosity and money? I mean, maybe, maybe sex, but I think sex has gotten just edgy enough, you know, that it's kind of cool to talk about sex on a Sunday. Money's not edgy. You know, it's like no one wants to talk about money in church. The unfortunate thing is we're in this series called Everyday Discipleship. And what we're talking about with discipleship is following Jesus, seriously and radically following Jesus with all of our lives. And Jesus spends an inordinate amount of time talking about money. And talking about the dangers of our relationship to money, and not just money, but just material belongings, material things. He talks about our relation the relationship between the rich and the poor and the dangers of getting ensnared with material things. And he talks about it unapologetically. We cannot, we cannot have a series on everyday discipleship and not talk about the importance of generosity, the importance of being generous with our lives. This morning, I don't want us to just talk about money. We're not here to talk about money. We're not here to talk about how much money you make, or how much money you give, or how much money you save. This morning, we want to look at what Jesus says about a heart that is aligned with Him and His ways, and how generosity flows from such a heart. And from the outset, I think we just need to all know one thing, and this is going to sound obvious when I say it, but sometimes I think we look over it when it comes to talking about money, is that... Jesus, Jesus does not need your money. Jesus does not need anything from us. Jesus is, is, is God, he's the creator. Like he has all of creation at his disposal. All resources are his. So Jesus does not need anything from us, but Jesus does want something for us. He wants something very rich and very deep, for us and for our lives and for our hearts. And so, as we talk through Luke chapter 12, I want us to hear everything through that lens that Jesus does not need anything from us. But man, Jesus does want something very good for us, for our lives and for our hearts. So, let's look in the text. It's Luke, Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 to 34. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 34. And we're gonna break this chunk of text into two parts. I believe the the first part of the text is verses 13 to 21. And in this part of the text, Jesus is gonna be presenting us with the problem. He's gonna be helping us see a major problem for all of us, for all of humanity. And then in the second part of the text, uh, from 22 to 34, he's gonna show us the solution, okay? So the first part of the text, verses 13 to 21, is the problem. Second part, 22 to 34, is the solution. Let's look at this text, starting with the portion about the problem. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, here's what what we read. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, "Hmm, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things lay it up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord out of Luke chapter 12. Now this is is, there's a lot going on in this story. And when we first read it at face value, it feels kind of heavy. It feels kind of harsh from Jesus. So let's kind of look in and see what Jesus is actually saying and what's going on. So the context here, Jesus is, is speaking to a large crowd at the beginning of chapter 12. It actually says many thousands of people. Many thousands of people had gathered around and wanted to hear from Jesus. And we know that he is speaking to his disciples and in speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the crowds. And as he's speaking, this random dude in the audience like raises his hand, jumps, teacher, hey, tell my brother to share mom and dad's money with me. Teacher, will you make sure my brother is fair with the inheritance I want my share? The man's question reveals something to us about him. We know nothing about this man. We don't know any, any of his background, any of his history, whether he's rich or poor, you know, landowner, priest, you know, just skilled worker. We don't know anything about him. But his question and Jesus' response reveals something to us about his motives. Reveals that perhaps his motives for coming to hear Jesus speak were not so much interested in, in Jesus, interested in seeing the man Jesus. It's reasonable to assume that perhaps he was more interested and how Jesus' authority could serve him financially than he was in actually being close to Jesus himself. Now, it was not uncommon for rabbis of the day to settle financial disputes, especially family financial disputes, because there were a list of laws. If you want to read about law, financial laws and financial burdens, just read through the Old Testament. There are lots of laws about how people should handle their money and their finances. But Jesus responds differently than most rabbis He doesn't jump in and start trying to be the mitigator between this man and his brother. Instead, Jesus shows that he did not come to be a financial advisor. Jesus did not come to manage financial disputes. He he didn't come to tell us, hey, here's the exact amount that you should give in order to be good. Hey, here's the amount that you should give if you make this much. Here's how much you should save. That's not why Jesus came. What he says to the man reveals that what Jesus was far more interested in was this guy's heart. He was not interested in the guy's money. He wasn't even just talking to him about his money. He was interested in his heart. And Jesus is after our hearts. Jesus sees right away that this is not a money issue for this man, but it is a heart issue. And so he responds on a heart level. And he takes advantage of this guy's question to speak to everybody about a very important condition of our heart. Look what he says. He says, watch out. Watch out. Guys, watch out. Watch out. Guard your heart. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Greed. Greed is not something that only the rich have to deal with. Greed is this thing that every human heart has to grapple with. Jesus says, watch out for greed. Watch out for all kinds of greed. It doesn't even just say money. Watch out for all kinds of greed. See, greed, the way Jesus is describing it, some of your Bibles might have the word covetousness there. Greed is this common desire for humanity to accumulate more than what one presently has. It is an insatiable desire and this lust for more and more and more. It is all-consuming so that all of life becomes focused on the accumulation of wealth and there's no room for anything else. There's no room for God or even for other people. Jesus says, watch out for greed. Greed, it's like this cancer or an addiction It's not a personality trait or a personal tendency, but a prison that captures you and holds you. Jesus' words are not a condemnation for this man. He's not condemning this man for his question. His words are more like a parent talking to a child and warning their child about the dangers of drug addiction or alcohol abuse and alcohol addiction. He's saying, watch out for greed, it is a prison. And it will ensnare you. See, when we give ourselves to this, when we give ourselves to all kinds of greed, to this continual thirsting after more material things, then we begin to think that our contentment, our joy, our happiness, our peace are dependent upon those things. And as long as we give ourselves over to greed, to to wanting more and more for our lives, then contentment and happiness and peace and joy will always be elusive We all know how this works, right? If we buy into that life, we buy into a lie that happiness comes from our stuff, the physical things that we can hold on to. But the problem is the moment you get that thing that you think is gonna make you happy, you'll be happy, what, for a little while, and then what starts happening? You see something else. You see the next thing. Oh, you know, my my iPhone 5 was great when I got it. (laughs) But man, everyone around me now has an iPhone 6. Crap, I got an iPhone 5. This thing sucks. (laughs) Like, it doesn't do anything to that iPhone 6. It's not nearly as big. You know, it's like you always find the next thing. You get the thing that you think is gonna bring you happiness. And then the next thing comes along and then you need that. It's a trap. It's a prison. The moment that we think that our belongings are gonna give us happiness, the moment happiness becomes harder and harder to grab onto. Our money, more money, nicer clothes, nicer car, nicer house, that dream vacation. There's always gonna be more on the other side. And so Jesus says, watch out for greed. It is a prison. It's like a cancer. It's an addiction that will eat away at you. And greed begins to change us. It begins to change the focus of our heart. And the focus of our heart begins to redirect redirected and where it was tended to focus, where it was intended to look, and to begin to look at something else. And Jesus tells this story to illustrate it. So he tells this story about a farmer. And I love this story, because Jesus starts off right at the outset. Look at the first thing that he says. He says, the, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Jesus is not talking about this man's work ethic. He's not saying this man works really hard so he got a better return. Jesus is lumping this man in with all of us and saying the reason he got a good return was because of the ground. The ground was faithful. God created the ground. His bountiful blessings were not because of who he was, because he was rich and he had it easy. God says the ground gave him a good harvest. This automatically puts the man in a position where he should realize that his heart should be thankful for the things that have been given to him. But instead, look what he does. Jesus, as he tells this story, he exaggerates. And 11 times he has this guy using the first person personal pronoun. I don't know if you noticed that I was reading it that I kind of emphasized every time the guy said, I, or me, or my, he said, I have good crop. Look at my barns, what will I do? I will tear down my barns so that I can eat, drink, and be merry. That's what I will do because I have it good. You see, greed has this way of redirecting the focus of our hearts to all we can think about is our own well-being. All we can think about are the material things that we need, that I need. And it begins to eat away at our heart. You see, the the wealth of this guy in the story was not the problem. Some people would read this and think, man, God hates rich people. Not at all. Not at all. The problem in this guy was not his wealth. It was his greed, his self-centeredness, his lack of regard for the poor who did not have plenty of crops and his desire for personal comfort at the expense of others. This was the problem. His only regard was for his own financial certainty and comfort. And then at the end of the story, the rich man dies. Some people think, oh, God punished him. No, that's not what's going on here. All of us are gonna die. I know that's kind of a heavy thing to say, but that's a reality, we all know it, right? It's part of life on this broken world. All of us are gonna die. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying God punished him because of his greed, or God punished him because he was rich. He's saying death is gonna come to us all. And Jesus is illustrating how foolish it is and how, how just how it does not make any sense to pursue meaning from the material things of this world because all of us will face death. And when death comes, all the material blessings we've worked so hard for and found our identity in are gone. Just like that, they're taken from us. And so Jesus in this text is laying out the problem. What is the problem? The problem that Jesus is addressing is the human heart's orientation around and attraction to material well-being. He's saying, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard, guard your heart. Don't let material things define your worth. Don't let them define your identity, your happiness, your sense of security. Don't fall for this trap of greed. He's saying, if you want the joyful life of discipleship, if you want a life of peace, of happiness, of contentment, of meaning and purpose then it will be marked by a generous heart not a greedy heart so it's like he's looking at this guy that asked the question he's saying be careful brother because the wills of your heart are not aligned with the ways of God and if you're not careful it will steer you into a ditch so that's the problem Jesus is presenting now the solution comes in chapter 12 verse 22 to 34 and you know, from the outset, we just need to address this. Sometimes when we see a problem, there's, there's an obvious solution, right? And, and the obvious solution, unfortunately, is not always the best solution. It's not always the solution that's gonna give us the, the best outcome for the long term. So we'll go back to our car example. My wheel's out of alignment. The obvious solution as my car is pulling me off the road is to do what? To just grab the wheel and steer it back on the road, And that's gonna work for a little while. The problem is my tires are gonna wear unevenly. It's gonna destroy my tires. The other problem is that that day's gonna come where I let go of the wheel just too long, right? And it steers me a little too hard into the ditch. The same is true for the problem of greed. Some of us will think and some people will try to tell you, hey, the obvious solution if you're struggling with greed is you just need to give more money. Give more money to the church and your problem with greed will go away. Support a nonprofit and your problem with greed will go away. That, unfortunately, that's not the best solution. Jesus shows us throughout his life that it is possible to give and still not be generous. In Luke chapter 21, there's this famous story where Jesus is standing, sitting at the temple with his disciples, watching people give their money to the temple, much like we give every week here at church. Only he can see how much people are giving. They didn't have credit cards that they could give by or a check that they could write on. He could see the physical amounts of money that people are dropping in. And some of the priests and the more wealthy are coming in and giving these large gifts to the temple. And this poor widow comes up and she drops the equivalent of two pennies in. And Jesus tells his disciples, this woman has given more than anyone else. Her generosity exceeds the generosity of those who were giving a lot. In Matthew chapter 6, he shows us that there are some who give, and their motive for giving is not because they long to be generous, but because they long to be seen by others and to be, to be able to show off how much they're giving and how generous they are. So you see, the solution is not as simple as giving more money, because it is very possible for us to give more money and yet still have a heart that is oriented around material wealth and greed. For the solution, we've got to go under the hood or under the car, so to speak, and to check the alignment. So let's look what Jesus says, starting in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food. And the body is more than clothes. You can imagine Jesus looking, they're out in a field and these birds start flying overhead and he looks up, he says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than some birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest and you imagine him looking down, and there's flowers all over the field that they're in where he's teaching. And he says, Or, look, consider these lilies, how they grow. They don't labor, they don't work, they don't, they don't spin or sow. And yet, I tell you, not even Solomon. Solomon was, was an uh, Israelite king that was just known for his wealth and for the splendor of his kingdom. And Jesus says, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. See, Jesus takes us under the car, into the heart to show us what a heart that is aligned with his look like, looks like. Neither greed nor generosity are money issues. They are heart issues. And Jesus lays out kind of two wheels of discipleship that need to be aligned in order for true generosity to flow from our hearts. And I think these two wheels that he points to are trust and treasure. Trust and treasure. These are the two wheels of our heart that need to be aligned with the heart of Jesus in order for generosity to be a natural outcome in our life. Trust and treasure. In verses 22 through 30, over and over again, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry, don't be afraid. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about your clothes. Like your father knows that you need these things. What he's saying, he's saying, just just don't worry. Just trust your father. Trust him. Trust your father. Trust him. Trust him. He calls himself your father. And any of you who are parents know how much you want to care for your own children. If you're not a parent, you just have to take our word for it, I guess. A parent longs to take care of the needs of their children. Some of you have had Broken relationship with your parents. Maybe you've had parents that didn't long to tend for your need. And Jesus shows us a picture of the father that longs to mend that brokenness that you've experienced. He says, look, God is a father that longs to take care of the needs of his children. Trust him. A generous heart is a trusting heart. A generous heart is a trusting heart. It trusts in in, in many different things. Trusts in a couple different things with God. One, it trusts that the Father is able. A generous heart trusts that the Father is able to give us what we need, that he really does have all resources at his disposal and he is able to give us what we need. But a a generous heart doesn't just trust that, that the Father is able. A generous heart trusts that the Father is good. He's good. That he knows what you need and he takes joy in giving it to you. In a minute we're going to see where Jesus says that the father takes great pleasure in giving you his kingdom. In God's kingdom there is no lack, there is no worry, there's no need that doesn't go met and God takes pleasure in giving us his kingdom. You know as I thought about this aspect of trusting God and trusting that God knows what we need, it kind of brought me up to this wall, right, in my own heart. Do I really believe that God knows what I need and that he'll give it to me? And what I realized is that so many times I confuse what I want and what I need. And this is a lesson that God has had to take me on a journey to begin to understand that he really will give me what I need. And I got feedback as I I kind of shared this sermon with some other folks on our team and Several people told me, Aaron, we think you need to tell some stories from your life. And I, I want you to know, like, I've been hesitant. I didn't want to do it. Because <laughs> the last thing I want to do is get up here and act like I'm, I got it all together and that I've, I've done this really well because I have not. My heart is greedy. My heart is wicked and I long for material comfort. And yet God has taken me on this journey where I've had to let go of some of those things and trust in him. And when I tell the stories that I want to tell you today, it is not about me. It's not about my wife. It's not about our family or our life. It is about the goodness of God and his faithfulness. In 2007, my wife and I were working as a therapist and a teacher, and God called us to quit our jobs and to move across the country. This story is not prescriptive. It's not me telling you this is what all of you need to do. It is descriptive of what God will do when we learn to fully trust him. And so my wife and I tried to be obedient to that, and we we moved, and we we, we did fundraising and all of that. We were moving in order to plant a church, and um, we we lived in Oregon for about a year and a half to wait to get visas to go to Canada. And during that time, our income was very unsteady, to say the least. It was unreliable. We had raised money, but only about a third of our budget. And we both sensed that God was telling us, this is a season where you are going to learn to trust me. And so we made a commitment to one another that we weren't gonna tell anybody else how much money we needed. We weren't gonna tell people when we didn't have enough. We were only gonna pray and only trust in the Father's goodness. And we had this one month, I'll never forget it. It was a moment of my life where God just opened up my eyes to his faithfulness and his goodness. I remember sitting down with my wife at the beginning of the month and looking and we literally had enough money to, to, to pay our school loans to pay our cell phone bills and pay our utilities. And that was it, that's all we had. And we both kind of looked at each other like, oh, well, here we go. So we prayed, we said, okay, God, this is what we have. We've got a month ahead of us and we need you. We need your goodness. There's a lot of things I want, but we really just need you to give us the things that we need. And I wish that you could go on that journey with us in that month to see how God just opened the floodgates to bless our family. He gave us everything we needed. I remember not long into that month, about a weekend, I went to our mailbox and there's an anonymous check in our mailbox where somebody had sent us some money. And remember, we had not asked for any of this. I can remember we were volunteering at a drop-in center for homeless kids and we'd been doing that for several months. And this day we're down there and the director, the executive director shows up and he wasn't usually there. And he walks up to me and Amy and he says, hey, I wanna talk to you guys. You've been serving here for months now and we haven't done much to thank you. He said, here's a a gas card for $300. (laughs) We had no gas money for that month. (laughs) He didn't know that. He said, here's a gas card for $300. Thank you for the way that you've been helping us serve these kids. Amy and I are just like, wow. I remember going to someone's house and we're at their house for dinner. And as we're leaving, the, the wife of this family is pulling out a box and she's literally putting groceries into this box. And she gives it to me and Amy says, here you go, guys. You take this, take this. The Lord is good. He is good. He is faithful. He's so good. And he longs to meet our needs. But our needs will not always be the same as our wants. We did not live very uh, lavishly that year and a half in Oregon. And I grew up in a very comfortable, pretty wealthy home. It was hard. And the Lord taught me the beauty of trusting in his goodness, that he's able, that he's good. And even though I didn't have all the things I wanted, he gave us all the things we needed. He's so good. He's so faithful. A generous heart is a trusting heart. Will we trust him? Will we really trust him to give us the things that we need? The second wheel of a heart that is aligned with Jesus is treasure. A generous heart is a heart that treasures God In the things of God. Look in verse 29. Jesus says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses or wallets for yourselves that won't wear out, a treasure that is in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A generous heart is a heart that trusts God and a heart that treasures God and treasures the things of his kingdom more than the things of this world. And we could spend a lot of time diving into what it looks like to treasure the things of God. And I think the prophet Micah says it really clearly, really simply. Micah 6, 8, he says, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Jesus said it this way, quoting the prophet Isaiah, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy a heart that treasures God, desires the things of God, justice, mercy, loving others, dealing justly with oppression, making sure that all have their needs taken care of, not that I get to sit comfortable while others do not. Jesus doesn't say, watch out for greed and give more money. Watch out for greed, give more money. No, Jesus says, watch out for greed by guarding your heart. Trust God, treasure God, seek after the things of God more than anything else in this life. Another story, I'll give you one more story of what this looks like, and then we're going to get into kind of the practical of bringing this to the ground my wife and I had been married for about a year and a half and I've learned, she doesn't know I'm telling this story, I don't think, she might be mad at me for telling it, but anyways, um, we've been married for about, we've been married for 10 years and we had been married for about a year and a half and she taught me so much about generosity because my tendency was to cling to the things that God's given me, to cling to my comforts. And I remember we'd been married for about a year and a half, we were both working, this was before we had quit quit our jobs and so we had plenty of money, plenty of incomes, dual income, no kids, and um, a guy that I worked with, he was a therapist, he had a modest salary. He was the only breadwinner in his family. He had a wife and three kids. And I shared an office with him. I remember he started to tell me about how the, the heating unit in his house had completely gone out and had to be completely replaced. And they didn't have the money to do it. And it was middle of winter. And they had no idea how he was gonna heat his home. And I remember coming home and telling my wife and she said, Aaron, we've gotta give. And I just remember being like, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't think we have enough. Like if we give to them, how are we gonna pay for this? How are we gonna pay for that? And now I look back at that, we had, we had more than enough. But I thought we didn't. She said, I think we need to give some money to them. I'm like, okay, fine, we can give them some money. But I didn't want it to look like it was coming from us. So we we talked to our office and everybody in our office chipped in and we gave what we had decided to give and we gave it to him and he just wept. He just wept when we gave it to him. Now, we had given him what for us was a considerable amount. Like it felt sacrificial for us to let go of it. And it's not important how much it was to us. It felt like a lot. That night after I gave him that money, there's a knock at our door. Amy and I are reflecting on the day and the joy I got to see in my friend's heart. And there's a knock at our door and it was one of our neighbors. This guy, we lived in a duplex of sorts and he lived in the duplex next to us. And it was kind of a weird situation because we paid all of the utilities for the whole duplex and he was supposed to pay us. Well, we'd been living there for about a year and a half and he never paid us. In fact, we'd never even laid eyes on the guy, never seen him before. (laughs) That night he knocks on our door. I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, hey, uh, I realize I'm, I've been supposed to paying you guys, I think, for the last year and a half. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no big deal, you know? And he says, how much do I owe you? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea how much you owe us. Like, it's really no big deal. We've been fine. I was like, he's like, no, 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 I want to pay you. I want to pay us. So like, if you want to pay us, then just write out the check for however much you feel comfortable writing out for. Guess how much he wrote that check out for? The exact amount. I mean, to the dollar amount the exact amount that we had given this family that we worked with. He writes a check. He says, bye. walks out the door. Never saw him again after that either. Kind of a recluse kind of a guy. And as he leaves, Amy picks up the check and she's like, Aaron, look at this. The exact amount. I'm going, oh God, you're amazing. We let go and you put it right back in our hands. And I'm like, great. I don't have to be uncomfortable. And Amy says, no, we got to give this away. I'm like, oh, Amy. (laughs) And she was right. So that night we got to go out on a little adventure. We snuck over to our friend's house and we went and put it, and none of this is to brag on us. Please know that. We, went out, we put the money in their mailbox and we, it was like we, we door, doorbell ditched, you know, we like rang the doorbell and ran off. And then we started going, oh crap, what if they don't look in their mailbox? So, and we called, we made like a prank call and Amy's just like, checked her mailbox and then hangs up, you know. <laughs> it was so much fun. It was so much fun to let go, to let go, let go so that God could bless someone else. You see, when we lean into the life of generosity, it's like being on an adventure with God. We get to see his faithfulness firsthand. We get to see how he wants to provide and we grow in our trust. And our heart begins to treasure the things that God treasures. Oh, can we let go? Can we not let greed ensnare our hearts and pull us away from the Father's love? Can we let go and fully trust that God is able and God is good? Can we let go and fully treasure the things that God treasures? Now let's, let's bring this down to the ground, everyday discipleship, right? Something practical. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? I wanna give you just, uh, just a couple things. One, we have to make sure that we don't just hear this and then walk away. We can't just hear the words of Jesus and then walk away unchanged. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of hearing and doing. And we've got that slide again today. I think we're gonna put it up here. If you weren't here, we've got this image of, of a circle. It's a tool to practice hearing what Jesus says and then putting it into practice. If you weren't here, the week that we talked about this two weeks ago, there's a blog, we've posted a blog on our website about the hearing circle. It's just a tool to practice hearing from Jesus and then doing the things that he says. This is what that circle looks like. And so for some of us this week, the first thing we need to do is take a moment to pause. What are we hearing from God in this? What is God saying to you? in the area of generosity. What is he saying to you through this sermon? What is he saying to you through this text? This week, I encourage you, read this text again. Shoot, read the whole Gospel of Luke, because Luke records many teachings of Jesus on money. And then take it to this, the circle that we talked about. Reflect on it. Discuss it with those closer to you. What is God saying to you in your heart? about trusting Him, about treasuring Him above anything else. Take time to listen this week. Take time for Scripture and silence. Open your ears to what God might be saying to your heart about the importance of generosity, the importance of trusting. This is the first thing. Some of, we, just all, we all need to pause this week and ask that question. God, what do you want me to hear in regards to my heart and generosity, in regards to my heart and trust, and my heart and treasure, is my heart in alignment with yours? And then there's a couple disciplines. Let's say that you start listening and you realize, I think God is trying to say something to me about my heart and its attachment to money, or my heart and its attachment to nice clothes, or my heart and its attachment to a nice house, or my heart and its attachment to others' opinion of my wealth or my status. If you start to sense that God is saying something to you, what do you do? Well, here's two easy kind of disciplines that we can practice. Things that we can put into practice in our life to start cultivating trust and cultivating treasuring God. The first one is the discipline of gratitude. You know, I said a generous heart is a trusting heart and a generous heart treasures God. A generous heart is also a thankful heart. See, this man that Jesus tells the story about, he didn't pause to give thanks to God for the abundance of his crop. He instead looked only to himself. You see, a generous heart gives thanks because it realized that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, James chapter one. So a generous heart's a thankful heart. So the discipline of gratitude, really simple. Here's what you do. This week, if you discover that God is saying something to you about your heart and generosity, Take some time this week to write down just the things that you're thankful for. Start each day, even if it's just two things. Try to write like five things, two to five things of the things that God has given me. And then just read those to God like a thank offering. Start your day instead of worrying about the things that you don't have. Start your day by saying, God, I know this isn't the house I necessarily want, but thank you for my house. God, thank you for my car. God, thank you for a job. Just start your day with a position of gratitude before God. And so the first one is the discipline of gratitude. A generous heart is a thankful heart. And then the second one is the discipline of release. The discipline of release. In verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is a hard teaching. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then he goes further, he says, provide for yourselves a wallet that will not wear out. Instead, it's a treasure in heaven. You know, the discipline of letting go of the things in this life that compete with our affections. It is a discipline. It's something we have to practice. And I encourage you this week, don't, it's not necessarily a knee-jerk reaction where I'm telling you that as, as you leave here, you've got to go find somebody poorer than you to give them money to. That's not necessarily the message. The message is practicing letting go of the things that compete with your loyalties and your affections. And this might look a couple different ways. If you're a family member here at Ethos, it might look like giving more to Ethos. It might look like more generosity within our family. We use the financial resources at Ethos to further God's mission, to take care of those in our family who have need. And so it might look like letting go of some of your financial security to give to the family at Ethos. If you're not a family member here, if you're visiting or you're a member at another church, it might look like letting go and, and giving more to your community there. But that might not be what it is. It might mean being willing to let go of some of the things you have to bless somebody that you see that's in need. Over and over and over again, God has blessed my family out of the generosity of other people because they've been willing to let go of their own comforts because they saw a need in our life. And so I stand up here, not as someone who perfectly practices generosity, but who often has just been the recipient of it. So the discipline of release is finding the thing in your life that you worry about, the thing that competes for your affection from God, and practicing the discipline of letting go of that so that you can watch God provide for you in ways that you've never seen before. Trust Him. He's so good. He's so faithful. Treasure Him. His ways are good, and He has good things for your life. This morning, I hope all of us here, this message of generosity is not a message of, hey, you better start giving more. It's a message of, is your heart aligned with Jesus? Do you trust Him? Do you treasure Him? Are you willing to let your life be realigned around the rays of Jesus so that you can live a radical life of generosity full of joy full of peace full of purpose full of contentment we're going to go take communion right now and this this is a great place to begin that discipline of gratitude as we come to the cup and the bread we're reminded that every gift in our life comes from Jesus and his faithfulness so let's come together i'm going to pray for us we'll go to get that cup get that bread and over communion, just share with someone what you are grateful for in your life. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor or middle class, share with someone over the cup what you are grateful for in your life. And if you need prayers for anything, if, if you would like to be prayed for, there'll be several of us over here at the Respond Banner. We would love to pray with you, encourage you in whatever way that we can. Let's pray. Father God, you are so gracious you're so kind and so good. And Lord, I thank you for the stories that you've given my wife and I, of just getting to see firsthand the abundance of your generosity. You've always given us what we need. Lord, I pray that now as we come to the cup and to the bread, as we remember Jesus, as we remember that he is the ultimate example of generosity. Jesus, that you gave up everything. You let go of everything. Lay down your own life so that we could have hope, so that we can know the Father. Thank you for being the model for us of what generosity really looks like. Would you align our hearts with yours, Jesus, as we learn to let go, as we learn to trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.